So we're walking through 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 4. I, one of the greeters told me a couple of weeks ago, they said, uh, you, need, you need to listen to Matt Carter's sermon on Mother's Day. Matt came through Central. He's the pastor at Austin Stone. Uh, friend of mine today, and great young man. But she said, you need to pick up the Mother's Day sermon. Now, it wasn't typically a Mother's Day sermon. It was a sermon on a passage he was working through. He's a great textual preacher. But he was working through a particular passage, and one of the things he was talking about was the impact of people's words on our lives. He talked about the fact that uh, he had grown up, and he said when he was a young guy, an uncle had said something to him that had stung him <clears throat> all of his life. His uncle looked at him and said, you know, you're never going to be anything more than a used car salesman. And he said, that doesn't mean used car salesmen are bad. He was very clear about addressing that issue. But he said, it stuck with him even into recent days. Matt's been very blessed by God in Austin. Austin Stone's done a tremendous job as a church. He planted it, started it. But he said, you know, I wondered if what I've done and the work that I put in was really for Jesus or was it because I wanted to show my uncle he was wrong? Now, that's a powerful kind of transparent confession. But it is the fact that what people say impact us. When you're on the playground and somebody says something about you and you say, sticks and stones may break my bones, the words will never hurt me. Well, we all know that. Well, the reason you say that is because the word that you just got hurt you. So, we are bothered by words. Now, Paul's going to address that here. He's going to address it in a strong way, in a difficult way, and he's going to give you the only solution to overcoming. And don't say to me that words don't bother you. Words bother everybody. Nobody enjoys criticism. Nobody enjoys getting busted. And we all go through that. So listen to what he says. Verse 11, chapter 4. Now, 1 through 5 he told Timothy, Timothy, you got a box, right? Inside the box is what you need to know. Not everything you know about God, not everything you know about yourself, but it's what you need to know about God and what you need to know about yourself is inside this box. And then in 6 through 10, he said, look, here's what you need to do. I want you to become godly. I want you not just to feel good about God. I want you to reverence him so deeply that it shows up in your life. So I want you to take the things in the box. I want you to pull them out. I want you to train yourself with them. I want you to implement them in your life because to the degree that you implement them is to the degree that you're going to become godly. Now he said that for him to deliver to the church, but now Paul gets personal with Timothy because an issue has arisen in his life. Verse 11. Command and teach these things. He says, Timothy, you pull out of the box what's in there. Don't back off. You're the pastor at Ephesus. These are some of my favorite people. You're my favorite son in the ministry. You take what's in that box and you deliver to them and you command them. You don't just teach them. You command them. You tell them there is no option. If the scripture says in marriage the bed is undefiled, then you tell them and you command them they can't get in the bed until they get in the marriage. You let them understand that. You don't back off. You don't slow down. You make sure that what's in the box, you command that they obey. And then he says, now watch this, verse 12. 
Don't let anybody despise your youth. Now, obviously, what Timothy was running into, we don't know how young he is, but he's pretty young. And in that day, oddly enough, you got your ARP card in that day on the same day you get it here, age 50. So if you were 50, you were considered an elder in the Roman Empire, and particularly in the church. And so Timothy's way below that. <clears throat> What's happened to him is he's coming into the church, right? The elders are all older than he is. He's the now overseer. He's the head elder. So he's come in and he's pulling stuff out of the box and he's telling them what to do with it and they're looking at him going, oh, come on, man. You don't understand our desires. God's okay with us. We've been sleeping together for a number of years. It's blessed our relationship. We're not married, but it's no big deal. And so they're looking at Timothy basically and saying, look, you don't get it because you're a kid. We know what you're pulling out of the box, but you're just a kid. We really don't have to pay attention to you. And so Timothy is facing kind of this onslaught as he pulls the stuff out of the box. Now, watch this. So he says to him, look, here's what I want you to do. But become an example of the believers in word, lifestyle, love, faith, purity. He says, look, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to take that stuff and put it in your own life. I want your speech to be governed by the teaching. I want your purity to be governed by the teaching. I want the way you walk and live to be governed by the teaching. I want your faith to be deep in the teaching. I want you to pull that stuff out and put it in your life so that they see it works in you. You are an example to them. I want them to see that this thing works. So you show them that. They jack with you, that's fine. You show them by your life that they are incorrect. Now, look in verse 13. Until I come, hold fast to the public reading of Scripture, exhorting and teaching. He says, now, I want you to put this stuff in your own life. And then on Sundays, here's what I want you to do. I want your worship. I want you to sing some songs. That's great. But I want your worship and even the songs to be centered. You pull stuff out of the box and you read it publicly. Then you take it and you exhort people to put it in their life and you teach them what they need to, what you've exhorted them about to put in their life. Now, so listen to what he said. Tim, don't cut them any slack. You tell them what is in the box and they don't have a choice about obeying it. I want you to put it in your own life. So that when they jack with you about being young, they'll see that it works and your lifestyle will offset what they say. Until I show up, when Sundays come, I want Sundays to be centered in what's in the box. Now, watch. Verse 14. Don't Actually, here's the Greek. Quit neglecting the spiritual gift which is in you, which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands of the council of elders. Now, that's not a Baptist verse. All right? People laid hands. God actually did something. Baptists don't believe that. We just do that because somewhere in the Bible it says lay on hands. So apparently... 
when Timothy was called, he went to Paul and he said, I, I'm called to the ministry. So Paul got the elders together, right? They got in a room, wherever they were, and they prayed over Timothy, and they laid their hands on him. And when they did, God gave him, according to this, a spiritual gift. We have no idea what it is. But God gave him a spiritual gift. Now listen. A spiritual gift, the only reason he gave it to him was to magnify and maximize the glory of God that will come through his calling and his obedience to it. So he gave him that for that moment. And obviously Timothy knew it happened. The elders knew it happened. Whenever it was, they sensed it. And Timothy has been utilizing it so that if Timothy wants to be at his maximum, as the pastor at Ephesus, what he has to do is take the spiritual gift that's been given to him and allow it to come to full fruition so that when he exhorts and reads the scripture and teaches, it will change the lives of the people in the church at Ephesus. But in fact, their mouthing of him has taken a toll. Because based on the Greek, he has taken this spiritual gift and put it on the shelf because they have worn him out. He hasn't quit on Jesus. He's not cursing God. He's not leaving the ministry. He's not like Jeremiah who quits. None of that. But he has come to a place where he's going, you know, whatever the gift is that maximizes who I am as pastor, I'm sitting it aside because they have worn me out with their mouth. He said, well, that would never happen to me. Yeah, I know. We're all spiritual, aren't we? Let me ask you something. Let's just, tomorrow, I'm going to add a phrase to your, to your answer. You go to work tomorrow, and wherever you show up, somebody says, what would you do over the weekend? You say, and normally what most people would say is, well, you know, we went to the lake, hung out with the fam, played a little golf, watched the Cowboys without the running back who can't do anything right. So uh, just kind of hung out and then went to church Sunday morning. That's our response, right? I wanted to add something tomorrow. When they ask you, what did you do? I want you to say all that, but then I want you to add, went to church and hope this is true for you, and worshiped the Jesus who has changed my life. Why don't we do that on a normal basis? Why don't we do that? Because we got the Timothy problem. We're not worried about what they say. We're worried about what they will say. You say you go to church, they go, okay. You go to Central? Short, bald guy? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Whoever that was, find him. Going in my office when service is over. Add that. Because two things happen. You're telling the truth. And it's a chance to do some mini evangelism. You're telling them you worshiped the Jesus who changed your life. Now, 
Timothy has become reticent. Whatever this spiritual gift is, he's laid it on the side because their mouth has worn him out. Just like everybody's mouth wears us out. I get that. But he says to Timothy, look, let's fix this. And there's only one way to fix it. Now here's what he says. Look in verse 15. Practice these things. Somebody read out to me. What's the next phrase? What's the next phrase say? Somebody read. English Standard. Anybody got that? What's it say? Immerse yourself in them. New American, anybody got that? What's it say? Complete attention. Somebody said be committed. So all sorts of different translations. I love the Greek, man. Here's what the Greek says. In these things, be. That's the Greek. Doesn't add anywhere, it just says be in them. So there's only one answer to my reticence because I'm worried about what people say. He says, Timothy, I want you to pick that gift back up, put it back in action. Here's how you're going to do it. I want you to take the stuff in the box, right? I want you to get in, be in the box. You don't just, in other words, pull it out of the box. You step in the box. And while you're in there, pick this stuff up and practice it. Because if you do that, that's the only cure to what has made you put your giftedness on the shelf. And it is the only cure. God has uh, great stuff. And, and, and sometimes what he says in this box is really, I hate to use this word as a man, but it's tender, it's sweet, it's nice. Listen, listen to this. You stay in First Timothy, but listen to this. Psalm 27:10. Even if my father and mother abandon me, this is David's psalm, the Lord cares for me. David wrote that psalm, which is exactly what happened. His mother and father did abandon him. When Samuel came to anoint the next king after Saul blows everything, Samuel comes to the family and God says, go to this family. And they bring all the sons out and God tells them, nope, 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 nope. And finally, Samuel's a little frustrated and he looks at Jesse, David's dad, and he says, you got anybody else? He says, yeah, we got one more. He's third string. He's got the sheep out in the wilderness. He would never be God's choice. When the day comes that David fights Goliath, his brothers are at the battle. Goliath's over there taunting not just the armies of Israel, but taunting their God. And David walks up and his brothers lung him. What's the new phrase? They throw shade on him. Is that the new phrase? They shade him, baby. And they wear him out. I'll get an email on that one. They wear him out. Because his family thinks he's a nobody. But let me read you another portion of a psalm he wrote. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outweigh, outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. 
He says, you know what, God? I know one thing. You think about me more than there are grains of sand on the seashore. And when I go to sleep with you thinking about me, when I wake up, you are still there. So even if they abandon me, my father thinks I'm a loser. My brothers think I'm a loser. You don't. And what gave him courage to stand where the former king didn't is his understanding not of who he was in his family, but who he was in his God. So this teaching, he stepped into, he pulled it up, and it altered his life. Sometimes it's really sweet like that, and sometimes not. When God called me to preach, it was real fast. It was loud. It was personal. It was graphic. And it was quick. Called me to preach within a matter of about five minutes. I had no time to process the idea that he's calling me to do something, and I hate being in front of people. I still hate it. Still bothers me. When I see these little kids come down and profess Christ, I look at them and say, you nervous? Yes, so am I. Nervous every week. I get that. So after the call, the next morning I get up and I realize, oh, wow. Called me to preach, and I hate being in front of people. So I go to see my pastor, right? Go to see him that afternoon. said, Brother Nelson, God called me to preach. And when he got out of the hospital, <laughs> he said two things to me. He said, all right, don't you think you ought to be baptized before you preach your first sermon? Okay, yeah. And then he said to the man who surrendered to the call before he processed it, Oh, and uh, you're preaching in four weeks. I'm sorry. Four years? No, four weeks. You're preaching. Reaches in his file, hands me three sermons, says, go home, figure something out. Yes, sir. So, I go home. That night, my parents take me the next day to buy me a Bible. Schofield. Only one version in my day when I came up. What was it? King James. I had a friend that <laughs> went to this church, and he preached. He started. He was, was going to just dog the King James, and his opening line was, if the King James is good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. And the chairman of Deacon's wife on the front row said, yes, it is, amen. <laughs> there are moments in glory and pastoring and moments of absolute misery. So, I get this Bible, and I go home, and I, all I know is open it up and read, right? So the first book I open up to, oddly enough, is Jeremiah. I read the first chapter, and it hits me. I underlined these words, first words I ever underlined in a Bible. Here's the first words I read. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I mean, I'm reading this going, you got to be kidding me. 
my family and I have no relationship. I'm not a cool kid in school. And here the creator of the universe just told me that before I was ever born, he had a plan, and now he's executing it in my life. So that's really good, right? Then the next phrase says, uh, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. Okay, I'm good there. Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. You go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of anyone. I'll be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. I'm reading that going, got it now. Still afraid, right? And then I made a mistake of finishing the chapter. Now get ready, stand up, and tell them everything that I command you. And then this phrase. Now, this is a guy who is scared in front of people, okay? Here's the phrase. Don't be intimidated by them, or I will cause you to cower before them. Now I'm reading and going, maybe that's not really in the Bible. <laughs> because now, it's really sweet, the first couple of things he told me. And now what he basically said is, you let your fear drive your ministry, and I'll cause you to fear. You let my word drive your ministry, and I will honor who you are. Sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's hard. It doesn't matter. If you're going to stand for Jesus among a culture that doesn't like him, <laughs> we're going to have to be non-reticent. We're going to have to immerse ourselves and pull these teachings up and be in them and practice. Why? Watch this. In order that, you're your uh, advancement might be shown to everybody, that your progress might be known to everybody. Watch yourself in the teachings. Stay in them. Watch this. For by doing this, you save yourself and those who hear you. And he doesn't mean the kind of salvation we talk about. When the Greek word sozo can mean that you reach the fullness of God's call in your life. So he says, you do what I'm telling you to do. You get that gift off the shelf. You start believing what is in this box. You get in it, you stay there, you pull it up, you practice it, you put it in your life. You live it, and you will impact yourself, and listen, you will impact everybody who hears you. I got an interesting text this morning. About 7 o'clock, Nathan Leno texted me from Northeast Houston and reminded me about something I completely forgot. The text him back said, man, I, I appreciate that. There are a number of young men that have come out of this church, right? Nathan, one of them, Matt, several that are in pastorates. One young man who was our college minister for a number of years, we gave $50,000 a year to for five years to plant a church in Charlottesville. He's there. Matter of fact, I texted him this morning texted me back and said, Chris, thanks for the prayers. We're trying to be a voice of hope in the middle of this mess. If that church 
takes those teachings in the middle of two groups. There are two groups in Charlottesville. The haters and the hated. The gospel shown up in their life and the truth of that teaching can take those haters and go, you know what? It doesn't matter where your skin color is. It matters whether or not you're in the image of God and every person born is in the image of God. And it says to the hated, I know these people are bad, but you're not hated by the one that really matters. We really do have the right message for any group in the world. And the coolest thing about this church, we're putting people in strategic places. Because that's what God does. Don't miss the chance to share who you are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your book, its clarity, the impact on Matt, the impact on David, the impact on Kyle. It's going on in Charlottesville that the media will never record, but here's a church in the middle of it bringing your truth and their lives to people that are hurting on both sides. Father, spiritual gifts you've placed in all our lives and our calling to share your word, don't let anybody's tongue hinder your tongue through us. I ask you that in Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This morning, if you have never met Jesus, this is a great time to do it. You say, well, I don't want to join the church. We don't care anything about whether or not you join the church. We just care about whether or not you find Christ. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. Or if you just need to come down here and kneel and pray. Staff and I are here. We'll pray with you. We'll share with you. So as the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, you come.